Hello, my name is Lucas Sores, and welcome to the show. This is Tech It Easy, a little podcast that I will use to talk about, you guessed it, tech. I am by no means an expert. In fact, the whole point of this show is for me to explore my tech interests and share what I learn as I go. This episode is sponsored by Mammoth, but we'll hear more about that later. Let's get started with some techno. Back with some Mars rover Perseverance news this week, the headline says it all. Humans flew a small helicopter on an alien planet. Perseverance unloaded the helicopter, drove a safe distance, then pointed the cameras back to watch. Ingenuity, what the helicopter's called, then took off, rose about 10 feet, hovered for 30 seconds, and landed back on the ground. Total flight time was about 40 seconds. Ingenuity is serving as a technology demonstrator for the potential use of flying probes on future missions to Mars and other worlds, and it will have the potential to scout locations of interest and support the future planning of driving routes for Mars rovers. The rovers are serious off-road vehicles, but even the most extreme Jeeps can get stuck. The difference is there's no one with a winch within 183 million miles, give or take. So it's really, really important that a Mars rover does not ever get stuck. I'll put links in the show notes, of course. I just wanted to keep tabs on that mission. It's full of all kinds of experiments and technology demonstrations that will inform future space exploration efforts. Before we get into the meat of the show, let's hear a word from this episode's sponsor, Mammoth. Visit mammothcooler.com to check out their products. This episode is brought to you by Mammoth Coolers, the best coolers since the Ice Age. Summer is approaching, and that means it's about to get hot, but that doesn't have to be the fate of your canned or bottled beverage. Mammoth Chilski is a double-wall vacuum-insulated drink holder made with kitchen-grade stainless steel. The Chilski works with both 12-ounce cans and bottles and has a screw-on collar that seals the can or bottle securely. It keeps your beverage cold 10 times longer than competitor drink holders. The Chilski comes in a variety of colors including burnt orange, midnight blue, and seafoam green. You can even customize it with a high-definition laser engraving. All Mammoth products are backed by a lifetime warranty and shipped to the 48 continental United States. Visit mammothcooler.com, that's M-A-M-M-O-T-H-C-O-O-L-E-R.com to order and use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off. Using that code helps Mammoth know you came from us. Thanks to Mammoth for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Now for the meat of this show, the Apple event. This past week, Apple had an event in their usual springtime frame. This event, historically, has been when the iPad Pros have been announced and refreshed. They like to hold a software-focused event in the summer called WWDC, so this event is pretty hardware-heavy, software-light. I frequently get asked by friends and family questions about these things. What do I think of the new iPad? Which iPhone should I get? When are new things coming out? Etc. So I thought this would be a great place for me to lay out some of my thoughts. One of the meh announcements of the event that I'll get out of the way right now is the new purple iPhone. Don't get me wrong. The color looks amazing, and just to have more options is great, but the only people getting this are really those who really, really want purple and or need a phone now, like you can't wait until the fall when the new ones will be out. I think I'll do an episode where I lay out my thought process on when to get a new phone, not necessarily just iPhones, so I'll leave the purple iPhone at this. It's cool, but it's not any different than the other ones out right now. No reason to ditch your current phone unless you were shopping for one already. Now stepping up the cool ladder of this event by a single rung, the Apple TV 4K. I totally love the Apple TVs. I think I've had every single one since they came into the little black square. They're not for most people, I realize, and this one is a marginal upgrade over the existing top-of-the-line one. If you have an older one with a silver remote and are looking to upgrade, this would be good for you. 
The new one supports 4K resolution at 60 frames per second, so you can use the full potential of your 4K TV now. The biggest thing for this Apple TV announcement is the new remote. The black remote has long been ridiculed and chided for not being very easy to use or even easy to hold. I'll definitely admit it's not great, but for me the benefits of the Apple TV have outweighed that. Plus, if it is a real concern, you have always had the ability to use a, use a universal remote or like the remote that comes with your TiVo if anybody still has that. But no need anymore. The new remote, returning to silver, has a more precise trackpad on it, hopefully to fix the issue where you can't tell how far this swipe is going to go. In summary, cool for me, but I think most people can just move right along. Alright, the iMac. Now things are getting juicy. The long-awaited iMac hardware refresh. Sort of like the Apple TV, I know it's not for everyone, but I do think this one is genuinely exciting. This is a brand new industrial design, shedding the elegant curve ending in a thin point around the edge in favor of the square sides similar to the iPhones and iPad Pros. Calling back to the iMac G3 of the olden days, these new iMacs come in seven bright new colors. Green, yellow, orange, pink, purple, blue, and silver. Of course, crucially missing for me, the red. But maybe we'll get a Project Red update in the future. Unfortunately, these ones aren't translucent, so you can see the insides like those awesome iMacs back in the day. But I'm sure anyone can find a color that suits them with that lineup. This is a really exciting move, especially after the years of a borderline brutalist all silver and black color scheme. Not gonna lie, I really do dig those old designs, and I still do, but the change is good. Especially with Apple's ability to apply these colors to a metal like this. I'm definitely not an expert in anodizing aluminum or whatever process they're using, but it certainly can't be easy to get such a vibrant color out of it. Other than the looks, the new iMac is powered by the new Apple Silicon M1 chip. It's not the first computer to get this chip. The Mac Mini, MacBook Air, and MacBook Pro 13-inch were released late last year. But this chip is crazy fast and powerful, especially considering its size and power consumption. It should tell you something that it is the same chip in all of these models. It really is the chip for most people. It still can't quite compete at the high end in terms of computing power and graphics performance, but that's why Apple still offers the 16-inch MacBook Pro and the Mac Pro. If you truly need that power, you would know and you wouldn't be getting this advice from me. <laughs> this computer, the iMac, can do 99% of everything that 99% of people need it to do. Both, both of those 1% remaining, it can still do, it's just not the fastest computer at those tasks. I hope all that makes sense. I'm just trying to convey that you're, if you're in the market for a computer, any one of the M1 Macs will do what you need it to do. You're basically choosing form factor and peripherals like that. Do you want a laptop or do you want a desktop? Do you want a built-in monitor or are you going to use your own monitor? All right, back to the new iMac. It finally got a 1080p webcam up from the 720p one that's been in there for years. That's handy for all those Zoom calls we no doubt will continue doing for a while. Along with the camera, they've upgraded the mic and speaker setup. You can hear and be heard much more clearly now and they work together to cut out the dreaded echo and background noise. There are two models of this iMac, one I'll call the base model, and the other I'll call the one you should actually get. The base model has a slightly less powerful graphics processor, but that's not the reason I don't think you should get it. It only has two USB-C and Thunderbolt ports and no Ethernet port. You can upgrade to get the Ethernet port, but those two ports are all you're getting, and two USB ports on a desktop PC just isn't enough. The one you should actually get comes with the Ethernet port, but most importantly, it has two additional USB-C ports, not Thunderbolt though. I think that's okay because you still have the two Thunderbolt ports and then two regular USB on top of that. 
Maybe Apple has done their market research to show that some large percentage of people don't use any of the ports or only use one or something, but it just seems off to me. I like to think of a desktop as home base. Everything plugged in all the time so I don't have to configure them after they're set up. Solid, reliable. You don't have battery life to worry about. Power consumption is not really a concern. And in most cases, the internet is ever-present and stable. You make those trade-offs with the laptop because you gain the portability by shedding weight and complexity and being battery conscious. My complaint with the base model aside, I'm really excited by this new iMac. I've wanted one for several years, but they haven't had a meaningful update in even longer, so I never did it. I'm still not sure if I'll grab this one yet because I already have a nice Windows PC for work and I've upgraded for gaming, and I have a MacBook for personal use that I share with my wife. Maybe if I can convince her to sell the laptop, uh, we'll get a sweet purple iMac. We'll see. The next most exciting thing they announced in this event is the iPad Pros, both the 11-inch and the 12.9-inch. Kind of annoying they don't just say 13-inch, but I suppose it's to stop people from suing them for not actually being 13 inches. Don't even get me started on TVs. So the jaw-dropping announcement here is that these new iPads also have the M1 chip, the same chip they put in that desktop iMac, the same chip that's in the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, not some skimpy mobile version of the same chip, the same chip. This is huge for what it means about the future of Apple's platforms. Anyone who's been following this for the last few years could clearly see this is what Apple has been wanting, and this is one step closer. The previous major iOS update, iOS 13, we're on 14 now, split into two. iOS 13 for phones and iPadOS 13 for Apple Watches. No, I'm kidding. iPads. The differences were mainly design and layout, but some features too, and all the changes were just to make sense for larger screens, you know, side-by-side apps and that sort of thing. But they also made a significant step in the direction of being more Mac-like. Now, the last major update of macOS took quite a few steps towards being more iOS or iPadOS-like, very clearly answering the question that many iPad users have been asking, why don't you just put macOS on the iPad? Apple is saying right here, they are going to merge both softwares in somewhere in the middle. Who knows how many steps are between here and there, but I can't wait. The big iPad also has a serious upgrade over the 11-inch as well in the new screen. Only the big one gets this screen update, but even the small one, iPad Pros, have always been and are still absolutely amazing displays. Better than most TVs in terms of color accuracy, brightness, refresh rate, all the specs you hear about when talking about TVs. This new big iPad is using a completely different technology than normal LCDs called mini-LED. LCDs, liquid crystal display, work by arranging the colored pixels in the shape of the image, but the liquid crystals are translucent. They don't give off any light by themselves. They need a powerful backlight to shine through them so that you can see the image. Mini-LED is different because LEDs are light-emitting diodes. They come in red, green, and blue, arranged in the same pattern of pixels that the LCD did, but they give off their own light. This results in higher brightness because you're not shining a light through something. It also lets the display be only lit in areas where there needs to be light. The dark or black areas of the screen can be dimmed or off, creating higher contrast and producing a better picture. Uh, I'm not sure if that's super clear, but the all that light dimming and color changing isn't just for static images like looking at a photo. It's how the display itself works. All of that is happening up to 120 times per second, so it's extremely smooth, unnoticeable. I mean, this is how videos work. This iPad, like the iMac, can do 99% of all the tasks that 99% of people need a computing device to do. This could absolutely replace a computer for most people and is probably even overkill in terms of power. Obviously excluding 
work business related things that your company requires you to use certain software for, but pretty much all personal tasks can be done on an iPad. You may have to learn how to do it if it has to be done in a different way, but it can be done, I'm confident. The day of the announcement, I got a text from a fellow tech buddy asking if I was ordering one. I am not. In a previous show, I mentioned that I got an iPad Air fairly recently, and I'm still extremely happy with it. Now, back to the pro being overkill. I am able to write, record, edit, and post this entire podcast with that iPad Air. The bigger screen would be nice, but a luxury, and not worth the cost increase. The new chip would be faster, but I'm not really hurting for it with the Air. One thing I didn't mention about the new Pros is that they have Thunderbolt ports, which, again, would be nice, but it would drive other hardware upgrades in order to fully utilize it, which is just more money. Don't be afraid if you don't understand what Thunderbolt and USB-C and USB-3 and USB 3.2 Ultrafast, what all that means. It, it is all very confusing, but let me know if you'd like to hear more like a full episode about that. I think I have a pretty good handle on it, at least well enough to explain why most people only need to care about USB-C. The last big thing announced this week is the long-awaited AirTags. If you don't follow the Apple rumors, you may not even know, but Apple has been working on this tile-like tracker for a while. This is a low-power Bluetooth beacon that allows you to tag your phone, purse, bike, whatever you want, and then you can find them using the Find My app on the iPhone or iPad. They don't have GPS because that requires more power, it's more complicated for other reasons, but it uses Bluetooth Low Energy, Bluetooth LE. It can track things a short distance, something like 30 feet or so. Uh, Like if you lost your keys in the couch, it, it will emit a sound and show you a location on a map where it is. If you lost something farther away, say you left your wallet at a coffee shop, you can enable lost mode, which then leverages all the iPhones to create a search party. If any iPhone is near enough to it to pick up the signal, it can detect it and sends you a ping with the location. Apple says this is all encrypted, so nobody has access to the info but you, and I know this is a sensitive topic, but I do believe them. Apple has always been slightly more privacy-focused than other big tech companies and has definitely doubled down on that in recent years. Apple claims the little coin-shaped battery inside will last up to a year, which is pretty cool on its own, but in very un-Apple-like fashion, they are easily replaceable by you, the user. You don't have to throw it away and buy a new one like people like to say about all devices these days, and Apple even includes a video tutorial built into the new version of iOS that shows you how to change it. I've never had a tile tracker, so I don't really have tons to say about this type of product, but I I think I will pick one of these up to see what all the fuss is about, mostly just to see how, how it works. Now that was a huge announcement for Apple. A few things I'm interested in buying soon, but most importantly, I think the products here represent the direction Apple is going, and I love it. More colors, not just you'll get silver and you like it. Less relentless pursuit of thinness in the devices. That iPad Pro is actually thicker than the one it's replacing, making more room for the screen and probably an increase of battery. Not sure on that yet. And the main thing being the unification of chips across many lines of products. Are we going to see the next iPhone with an M1 or an M1S chip? It would be crazy to have a phone with the same chip as a desktop, but maybe not too far away. All right, let's wrap up today with a techomendation. I don't know about you all, but I am getting weary of the algorithm deciding what goes in my news feed. I've recently rediscovered the very old technology called RSS, really simple syndication. It's actually the technology that enables podcasts at all. Now, I'll be honest, it does take a bit of work to set up and a little bit of work to maintain, but after that, it's just a list of things that you want to see, whether that's news, sports, tech, 
just plain entertainment, uh, celebrity gossip, I don't know. It is important to keep track of all the biases reflected in the sources you choose, as it can quickly become an echo chamber, the exact thing that I'm trying to get away from with the algorithm. Basically, every website has an RSS feed that they publish the articles to. Every blog post is an article, you know, article is the interchangeable word here. I'm not making any recommendations, but for, to give an idea, BBC, NPR, Fox, CNN, all of those big websites have RSS feeds that you can just grab from, but also the comparatively little bloggers have feeds too. Gizmodo, Daring Fireball, Hackaday for tech stuff. But again, be mindful of the biases of any source. I, I also follow Google and Android stuff, not just Apple. All you have to do is find an RSS reader app. I use NetNewsWire to read the articles, but you need to find the feed to follow. It's fairly easily accomplished by Googling, but you can always turn to something like Feedly. Feedly does have a recommended feed, aka an algorithm, but you can just skip it and search. You add the news sources or blogs you want to follow, and you're done. Now you just check that app instead of Facebook, and you get the news straight from the source in roughly chronological order, I guess depending on how you set up, not a popular thing and how it's shared by your friends and family or promoted by Facebook itself. I still get more in that feed than I could possibly read in a day, but it's much easier to sift through and just mark as read once I'm done with it. If it's old news, it's old news. If I'm not in the mood for the doom and gloom that permeates the big news channels, I can only look at my fun tech blogs or only look at the sports stuff. If I do want to keep abreast of current events, they're there. They're just not being forced in front of my eyes. As always, I'm most definitely not an expert, and I'm always learning about the things that I talk about. Please send me feedback on Twitter or Instagram at techiteasyfm, or use the contact page at begonia.fm. Thanks for listening.